Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today we catch up with Cub member Kirsten Carriel, the founder and CEO of global skincare empire, Lano Lips. Kirsten shares with us the story of how she started Lano Lips from a humble farm five hours out of Adelaide to becoming a global empire, being stocked in the world's largest beauty retailers. Me and Kirsten had a fantastic conversation. In fact, one of my favorite conversations, we spoke about the importance of resilience in business. We spoke about how to build brand trust and what that actually means and the importance of having a hero product, the most important product, the one you're known for. Kirsten's one of the most incredible entrepreneurs I've ever met. I hope you enjoy the show. just telling you, but I love the name of your business, Lano Lips. Thank you. <laughs> it's just, it's, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people don't know what Lano is, but you're about to explain it, but it says what the business is, Lano Lips. You put Lano on your lips. Correct. I've always believed that the business name is a great opportunity to communicate something about what the product does or how it makes you feel. And you can either create that branding over time or it can just be really obvious, like this was. That was I chose the obvious <laughs> ring. <laughs> well, obvious is always obvious is always. But business names are a funny thing. But, but um, sorry, I should be saying welcome to the show, Kirsten. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, it's it's a pleasure to to finally meet you, and uh, thank you for being here today. And um, we're here to discuss. Well, I want to get to know you better because this is the first time we've ever met. Yes. Uh, which is a beautiful thing about this podcast. I get to meet so many of our incredible members that I otherwise maybe wouldn't. But um, you've built yourself a bit of a global lanol, uh, lano, lanol and uh, empire, lanol and empire. <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm so excited to to hear about that journey and to hear about your lessons along the way. But why don't we start with you introducing kind of where you're from and and uh, your background, how you grew up, how, maybe how you came up with the business. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up in Adelaide, where I was born. And um, my parents were academics and my mum's family were sheep farmers. And as a result, every school holiday, we would just go to the farm and spend our entire school holiday there. We didn't go on other holidays. We just went to the farm. Where was the farm? In Adelaide? In um, a five hours drive from Adelaide. So it was in the southeast in the um, Coonawarra region. A lot of the farms actually are used to grow grapes now in that region. Mm. Um, So it was a five hour drive. We would just drive up there and mum would just dump us at the farm and we'd literally be wild monkeys for six weeks. And then, and it was so fun. And I love, I actually really, really loved it growing up. And um, as part of the farm, the sheep shearing was a, a yearly a yearly thing and the shearers would often be roving shearers and they'd stop by and they'd get paid by the food and um, food and board or whatever. So once a year every summer my grandfather and the shearers would get all the thousands and thousands of sheep they have and they'd pull them in the shearing shed and they'd just give them a big shear and the wool would go into bales. And the, the smell of the lanolin that comes out of that is like – the most distinct farm smell that anyone will ever recognise from a farm. And he would also come back from the shearing with these really soft hands and he had these huge, thick farmer's hands, absolutely massive. Who's this? My grandfather, sorry. Yeah. And um, and they would be all soft from the lanolin that he'd been feeling and then my grandmother would take some wool and she would weave it and she would get soft hands from it as well and she'd make jumpers and et cetera, et cetera. So lanolin was really part of the fibre of that whole my, my sensory experience at the farm and at the same time my dad he's a molecular scientist and he would teach us that the molecular structure of lanolin is almost identical to human oils because it's mammalian so it's going to be much more identical to a human oil than any plant oil or nut oil or anything or else fish. or fish oil exactly I've never heard of a Fish oil moisturiser, but that's an interesting I don't know. Well, I hear fish oil everything. Yeah, but days. you eat it. You don't use it to hydrate, but I bet you you could. Anyway, lanolin's better. <laughs> I agree. As a result, that's all I used, all the whole house used actually growing up was lanolin. And then um, then I kind of left and went travelling and discovered the world of beauty products and ended up in PR. And I really had never used lanolin since the day I left Adelaide. And I worked in beauty PR for um, – I had my own agency for 10 years – 
and I it occurred to me when I was driving to an airport and dreading the dryness ahead um, that after all my years in beauty, nothing had actually really worked as well as the lanolin I had used growing up. And that was really the light bulb moment that um, I was. it was so clear to me what I needed to do and what I wanted to do. And I think as an entrepreneur, you can have a business idea every week, right? Having an idea is the easy part. Making it stick and executing it, like that's the hard part. And I think if the idea sticks around long enough and you're so committed you know, for a very long time to it, that's when you know it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So that started. I'll tell you, my old man used to say to me, a thousand people today will have the same exactly. business idea. Of that thousand, a hundred of them are going to have the courage to try it. Of the hundred, ten of them are going to get past stage one. Of the ten, maybe one is going to is going to hire somebody or is going to get to the is to the next He stage. sounds like a very wise man because I think that is exactly true. Yeah, and it's something mm-hmm. I teach my kids and also something in my company. I don't think I've done anything magical. I've just been super um, – I've had great perseverance and I'm really tough and I just keep going. Well, what is it? But it's kind of funny because you're almost like purpose-built as a person for your business. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> your, your grandfather's a sheep farmer yeah. who like – Big and burly and like has the softest hands like a like a feather. And then your your father is a molecular scientist who understands why your grandfather's hands <laughs> are soft. And then you went to London and did all this beauty. And so all, you took your own experiences, your father's experiences and your grandfather, and you kind of like a perfect yeah. just purpose built for Lanolis. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, pretty much. You fell into it. It was kind of my destiny. Is yeah, the way I see it. <laughs> it's a cool way to think about it. Yeah. And would would you say that um, you're like what, what? What? How would you describe your character? Like, how does your character do you feel fit as a businesswoman? How, how does it work? I um, have really good empathy, and I think that's why I was a natural PR and marketing. You can learn marketing, but you're much better at it if you have natural empathy and you understand, and you can put yourself in someone else's shoes. And I think that's the real key to marketing is understanding what that person needs. So number one, I have empathy um, and I'm, I'm pretty creative, but I've also kind of got a pretty good numbers brain. Not brilliant, but it's fair. Um, but the most important thing is I'm very resilient and super hardworking and you can kind of do anything if you keep at it eventually. You'll kind of outrun people eventually. It's like, the, you know, it's like a marathon and I've always got my eye on the long game and I keep going and it's something I teach my children as well is – um, just keep going, just keep going and just don't give up because eventually you'll get there. Completely agree. Business is a long-term game. The idea is basically just survive because the longer you go, the higher your chances increase of never dying. That's right. It's, it's statistical. You just have to adapt along the way and get learnings and just keep refining and adapting and that's what we've been doing and yeah. that's how, um, you know, there's been so many pivots in the last 10 years but um, that, that's what that's why we're still here. Yeah, yeah. Keep moving forwards. Keep learning because if you're not learning, you're probably treading. Yeah. Treading, you you're going to die if you yeah, don't learn. Yeah. Like you have to. Or you'll die of exhaustion because you won't be, you'll be yeah. treading, but you won't be moving anywhere. Yep. And don't quit. Oh, and, and so you've got kids. How many kids? It's hard to believe you have kids. Thank how, you. How many I have kids two. Have? Two boys. Two kids. Two boys. Oh, you're a boy mum. I'm a boy mum. They're very hydrated. <laughs> you know what? I'm they're... picturing these like, l- little boys covered in lanolin. <laughs> I do have a video of one of my sons when I, I gave him one of my new products, my lano stick, years ago, and I got his reaction on video for posterity and it's so sweet. And I, I do use them to test because children are so honest and boys in particular, they just say it like it is. So Ruthless. I use Ruthless them punch. all the time. What do you think of this? Like, oh, yeah, I don't get it. Like, okay, fine. So, how, yeah. how old are they? They're 13 and 15. And so you just you you get pin them down and paint their lips yeah, with lanolin. Pretty much. I'm like that and they have dry lips. I'm like, that is not okay. <laughs> we are we are the Lano family. That is child need, abuse, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and actually, so how long did you start Lano Lips? So I had the idea in 2003, but I was running my PR company at that time. So it was on the slow boil, it was a side hustle and development was really hard and I was having children. So I didn't actually launch it until 2009. And so, yeah, what I was trying to get at was at what stage were, were you at in, uh, I guess, family life? Yeah. <laughs> Just so the Sorry. listeners know, Kirsten's phone alarm went off because <laughs> she apparently has an 11 o'clock reminder to have a stretch. <laughs> yeah, step away do, from you, the desk. Do you know what I bought? What? 
Yeah, you know, there's, it's like the machine, it's a massage machine, because bop, 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 you know, into your back. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's that called? I've uh, seen those around. Oh, yeah, it's mad. Does it work? Yeah, oh, yeah it works, it works. I, I've got to remember the bloody name, but it goes bop, 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 <laughs> and it, it, you should get Isn't it. Isn't it crazy, though, as yeah. humans, that we have to do those things to ourselves these days? Because we're so sedentary and we're all sitting in, like, this position we're not meant to all the time. Yeah, oh, so 100%. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But it's also kind of cool that, like, we know more about – how to be healthy and live longer than, for example, uh, the, you know, in generations before us where, like, people – it was normal to drink Coca-Cola at school. Yeah. And, like, you you know, wonder what that thing is now that we're all doing that yeah. <laughs> in future we'll be like, I can't believe they did that. Yeah, but there has to be a limit because it's like I can't lose everything in my life, you know. Like <laughs> now if you – I can't watch the news because every time I watch it, oh, potatoes give you cancer. It's like, well, yeah. okay, what yeah. doesn't, you know, like yeah, so, I, I need some sort of give me joy. wiggle room, you know. <laughs> I'm pretty sure wine is okay still, yeah, particular I, red wine. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, no, they'll never talk – they'll never talk bad about about their alcohol. No one ever dares go No, there. there's also too many taxes relying on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and people just love wine. In fact, a wine a day keeps the doctor away. What's that? It's good for your brain or I don't know. That might be apples. But um, <laughs> what I wanted to get at was at what stage um, um, did you start Lanolips in terms of your uh, like life, in terms of your parental life? Had you had kids? Was it just before kids? At, at what um, point were you? I launched it. Um, just after my youngest was about one. Okay, so you, you basically had two kids under the age of three. Yeah, correct. Yep. And you decided, wait, now's a great time to no, start. No, it was just when I got when I finished her and was ready. It was more so um, just an exceptionally. I wouldn't recommend this, by the way. I was running one company, <laughs> I was developing another one, and I was having two young children, so, and I was working um, throughout. I had six weeks parental leave, I think, and I worked through all of that, and um, it was just running the race and that was when I got to the finish line and that's when I got to launch. Um, you just felt like you didn't have enough to do. It's not enough to do. And, <laughs> and even then I went through a period of running my PR company at the same time because the PR company was funding Lano. So there was a crossover. It was a, the biggest leap I remember taking wasn't launching Lano. It was actually when I decided to sell the PR company because that was the moment my cash flow was fully reliant on the new business. That was the most uh, risk, I think, Along this whole process, that yeah. was the biggest risk. Yeah, well, because you kind of said like goodbye it. to your financial stability. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this thing that I've been developing, it better work now. <laughs> and, yeah. it, and it was, so that's good. Do you think that the fact that you had no choice but to make it work, um, do you think that helped? Do you think that was a motivator for you? Um, or did it just stress you out? No, no, it definitely did. Um, I believed in it so much that for me I was so sure that eventually like I knew it would work because I believed in it so deeply. Like you can't tell me my product's not amazing. Like you can but I won't believe you. <laughs> well, like I, like I said to you, the, the reason that um, uh, I reached out for the episode was because my uh, sister or my cousin's wife um, was using the product, obviously not knowing any that uh, you're involved in Cub at all, started talking to uh, one of the – to Alice, one of the team members at Cub – and started saying about this product, Alice realized, oh, they're members of Cub. Alice started using it. Alice told Laura to use it. So now all the Cubs <laughs> started using it. it the, product, the product works, people. Yeah, the product works. Many awards to prove it, but I, I just knew that it was amazing. So, Oh, what awards do you have? Um, so, I mean, fancy. like any beauty, like beauty awards, you wouldn't really probably <laughs> care, nor know. Um, like Insta Magazine, The Times have called us the best bum in the world. The like, Times yeah, called you that? absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the USA Magazine's pretty much every beauty award in the world we've won. So, wow. So, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> Drop the mic. But no one cares about those awards anymore. They did when magazines were important but now it's like which bloggers using it <laughs> yeah but it is good to have them present on your websites correct. on your socials like it is social proof correct you know it is it, it's a big deal especially when you have publications like um and you yeah, can't buy times. awards like you can't no. like ultimately it has to be good yeah it's funny those publications like for example if a company has a quote from the uh, afr or like even like gq or like Really, any big publication, Forbes probably is probably yeah. the best one to talk about. You know, they could have a quote from Forbes. Forbes has mentioned them, and automatically, all the potential client, you know, your your potential clients are like, "Oh, wow, yeah, that that yeah, that must be a great company." Forbes mentioned it. You know, it's it's a very powerful thing. You know, I liken it to um, gold medals on wine bottles. 
Like I go in, I know nothing about wine. I just look for the medals, right? <laughs> Hell, it's a it's a selector. I like things to be easy for mm. me, and I think yeah. a lot of people choose like that. Yeah, and like you're saying, the modern version is okay. That influencer uses it. Yeah, yeah, that that's pretty yeah, much. People don't want to think too much. Like I think people overthink sometimes in beauty. The reason consumers buy your product is ultimately they just want to solve a problem and they want the solution to be really easy and obvious. Yeah. So if you can do that, you're halfway there. People do want to solve problems, and they want to know which company is the best one to solve their problems. Correct. Is that the approach you took? towards your marketing and because obviously you had a PR background, which I want to I'll focus on later on, but is that the approach you've taken or what's been, I guess, your strategy around your messaging for marketing? It has changed a lot as communication channels have changed. In fact, the change in communication channels were probably the reason for our early export success because when I first launched, um, there was maybe one or two blogs um, and Vogue forum, had a forum, an online forum, but there wasn't really much else online. Um, and suddenly the with the, and I won't talk about this too much because it was so long ago, but some suddenly with blogs there was an opportunity for consumers to have a voice as to whether something was good or not. Before that, the only people that could have a voice were the publications. And, um, and you can, you know, if you're a big advertiser, you can actually get them to say things for you, um, which we were never going to be. So for us, I had blogs and I was in PR and I knew the people to send it to and there were some big blogs in the UK, um, like three or four, and I just sent my product to them and they were raving about it and they had so much power at that time because there were so few of them. Before I knew it, we had boots stocking us. So we were in the really early wave of um, of uh, getting the benefit from consumer reviews. And sorry, boots, booths? Boots. Boots. In uh, the UK. Yeah, I don't know who that is, oh. but I'm assuming that's a very big retailer. It's the, it's like a price line in the UK. Okay, wow. It's okay. absolutely massive. And so your strategy. Stores. So 3,000 stores, yeah, I, I imagined. I just wanted to ask because sometimes I don't know things and then no, I no, assume maybe some of the might not. But um, <laughs> you'd be surprised at dumb things I ask on this show in public. But <laughs> So you did have a strategy and the strategy was, okay, well, look, we're not going to fight the big brands for the big publication spots. We're going to come through and we're going to let – the actual clients say it for us and the clients that have blogs, you know, the clients have a say now with blogs, yep. we're going to get them into the blogs and that was your strategy. Correct. And and, and let the product yeah. do the talking for you. And for the first time in the history of the world, a product could survive without magazines. They mm. had platforms for these these people. It was much more democratic and that's only increased now. So what year was that? That was 2009. Okay. And – and re- but really, that strategy only works for someone that has a kick-ass product. If your product sucks, Correct. don't do that strategy. You can't survive if your product sucks anymore, though. Mm. Like the big big brands do because they're so powerful and they can still buy a lot of advertising. But as an indie brand, if you don't, if a product's not good, just give start, up. Just give up. And let's get into the actual business because because um, I want people to have more awareness about what we do, what you do. Um, do you want to introduce the business, what its focus is and yep. kind of where what its position is at the moment? Yeah, sure. So at our core, we are simple, hydrating skincare using the power of lanolin. And lanolin because it's the most perfect moisturiser for human skin you can possibly use. Um, so we started with lip care and then pretty quickly people were asking for hand creams and other creams for other dry parts of the body. So now we do have a full range of um, lip care and hands and body and face. And it's just really about simple multi-purpose solutions for people who have zero time and don't really care to talk about skincare that much. <laughs> so in short, it's basically just moisturizer fundamentally built from lanolin. Which Correct. Is, which is just the best product for moisturizer. Correct. Really simple USP. Yep. hydrating and a lot of brands try to do a lot of other things and the hydration message gets lost whereas healthy skin starts with hydration and um, other things can make a little difference like two or three percent here if you use a, an acid or a serum like really really small though most women I really can't be bothered for two or three percent difference and for like a busy a, a busy woman or a woman who can't be bothered putting on 50 it's also men too, no? You got you got. Well, um, you have a lot of men who use our lip balms yeah. and love it. Yeah. Um, but I think also people. But you've def- got uh, you've actually got um, unisex products. Yeah, yeah, we do. But um, look, I believe, and this is where um, kind of I guess my empathy comes in. I do believe people default to um, convenience. So even I'm guilty of it. You buy all these fancy skincare products, and you think you're going to use them, and you do for a little while, but eventually your brain just chooses the easiest. 
way forward. Mm. So you, my goal was to produce those products that your brain would go to, like subconsciously go to. And, and in fact, the way I developed my first lip range, I just put all my lip balms um, in my bag with the ones I was previously using plus my own and I just sat with them for a couple of months and I would see which one I subconsciously went to. And when I chose mine, that's when I knew it was right because yeah. I think a lot of those decisions are subconscious. It's kind of it's, uh, simple and easy to use products that actually work. Yeah, and that you will get hooked on for life and you will turn oh, to. For life. For life. <laughs> that we, we you'll turn back to again and again. <laughs> yeah, well, once we recruit, we have incredible retention. Um, once people get onto lanolin and it works for them, um, they kind of can't go back to anything else. Well, I like how you said that recruit. It was kind of like you're growing the team, but you you actually meant clients. Yes. Customers, yeah. Customers. Like we're recruiting a team. Yeah, I know. A lanolin team. This I know that was probably want. the wrong marketing No, term. I think it was cool. I, I like it because it's like we're a team. This is who we are. We're busy. We don't want to We don't want to rub Amazonian guava paste on our face because – Big brand told us that it's got some hidden secret that the ancient Amazonians discovered for 5,000 years, you know, like. Were you in marketing and skincare in your previous life? <laughs> no, but I really like your brand. I'm really into it. Like, I, uh, I'm really, really like your your business. But Thank you. a couple of questions. You, how big is the business now? So you're, I know you, you're obviously stocked through, yep. I guess, the price line of, of, England. Yep. And um, where else? So in Australia, um, we have about 40% of our business in Australia, maybe a little bit more. Um, and we have, I would say, a thousand stores here that carry us, like Priceline, right. David Jones, Mecca, and Sephora. And then um, more than half our business is now in America. Um, so in America, we're in a very big chain called Ulta, which is like, it's 900 stores, it's like a Sephora. And we're in anthropology and a few other big chains. Um, and then we're in Europe throughout Sephora, the 14 countries in Europe. Um, and we're also in the UK in Boots. So you are well and truly there. We're there. Yeah, and you've look, gone from, in, yeah, growing from boutique a brand. To, yeah. to, to big dog in the room. Well, I wouldn't call us that. But <laughs> I would say I we're, a, we're, a, you know, we're a big indie brand. Big indie brand. Yeah, that's, oh, that's a good description. But how does one go from, you know, well, I guess I can see how, but you're in PR. How do you how do you actually go, I want to use the oil from a sheep to put into a product for people's lips? Like how was that, I guess, was that possible for you because that your grandfather was literally using it that way or were they not or? Um, well, I – Because you're not you a scientist. Could, no, anything. but um, – I, I did speak to my dad, who was a scientist, and um, he, and still does, only, he continues to only use pure lanolin. So you could buy pure lanolin cream and you still can, but the creams that I grew up with were not at all beautiful to use. They were smelly, they were sticky, they were just super functional, but without any aesthetic quality whatsoever. And through my beauty background, I just thought, surely lanolin can be a beautiful experience and it can make a woman feel amazing or man. Um, so I worked with um, a, a, la a couple of labs and we worked on some formulas. I told them what I wanted and, and that was a whole process in itself but that's how it would kind of get started. You kind of just work, find some labs, convince them to work with you, work with the chemists, tell them what you want it to feel like and then – And how did you find the labs? You just typed in Google. I – Lano Labs. <laughs> Um, That'd be a cool name for your future business. Like if you start actually making it as well, you know, ladder labs. I know labs, actually. That's quite cool. I like that. Um, when I first started, you, there was nothing on Google, to be honest. In 2003, when I was first starting, it was more yellow pages. I really? hate to say, yeah. I Yeah. it was, And there was maybe only four or five in the whole country that was potentially available to work with. So Wow, it's so weird to think that. I like, know. That doesn't sound like that long ago. But, I know. But, you know, 2003, oh. Yellow pages, so weird. Yeah, but I might be thinking I might be thinking that incorrectly, but there weren't many options. Mm. And if you know one person who knows a few labs, that's you know that's your step there. And so you went to these labs. You said, "Listen, I want to turn this natural product, which works really well, but it's not pretty, into something that that looks and feels as nice as it works." Beautifully put. And they did that. Yeah, I mean, first most of them said no. <laughs> Why? Um, well, you know, I. They don't want to work with startups. They want to make money from the get-go. They don't want to, to do the long, hard yards to make money with you. And they 
they're not sure you're going to make money, going to make money. Um, and one of them in particular, the one I wanted to work with, I sat down and I, with the managing director and he said, you know, when I started my lab in the 1970s, lanolin was the only thing we used because it's naturally shiny and it was like lip glosses were a thing in the 70s and I used, that's all we used. But we just don't work with it now and it's just too much hard work. The way they often work is they have a shelf full of formulas they have created and people walk in and they pick a, show, a formula from the shelf and then they add what they call a claims ingredient. So you might say, I want a coconut moisturiser. So you walk in, they find a moisturiser formula and they add a bit of coconut oil and then that's the beginning and the end of the process. And that's how, that's what I meant by like the Amazonian yeah. juice thing. It's kind of like that's the marketing position. The marketing ingredient, exactly. Yeah. So it's that, that's where they make their money because you're kind of licensing their formula. Whereas I wanted to own our formulas, I wanted to direct our formulas from the get-go, I wanted to build them from from nothing. So as a result, it was ha- actually hard to find a lab that would work with me, but we got there eventually. Wow, what a powerhouse. And what do your, what do your sons say about all oh, of this? Oh, they're proud for, yeah, boy, for boys, you know. <laughs> yeah, that young boy, you'd be like mad. My mum's a legend. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> do you think it, it – it, 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 can you see that it inspires them in, in some way to, to – you know, kind of do something. I actually often touch base with them, and I just make sure that they're seeing enough of me and they're feeling connected enough to me because I'm I'm a working mum. I'm not there for every moment. Um, and so how do you balance that? What's your process? The, it's just super hard. I will not sugarcoat it. I do it re- as well as I can. Everyone's different. Everyone just has to find their way. I think you just as a as a mother and as a father, you just have to make sure you're emotionally connecting with them. And you know what's going on in their head. So, yes, it's about getting their school uniforms or, you know, the the day-to-day, but I think emotionally connecting with them. And it could only take five minutes lying in bed with them at night. It could some moment on the weekend as long as you're doing that. And my my sons have always assured me that they feel like I'm always around enough and I'm with them enough. And um, and they they love it, the fact that I work. They are proud. Yeah, I'd imagine. I, I'm thinking about myself. I never saw my dad for probably the first 18 years of my life. Oh, really? And it, well, I, I did. He was there, but he was working all the time. So I, maybe not I didn't emotionally in a sense. there as much. But my point was, I never thought, oh, you know, prick, not seeing you. I always thought, Matt, what a legend. He's like, right. You know, I always felt really proud. Like, oh, it's really good. It's good for me anyway. Like, that's, yeah. that, that was my process. It was never like, oh, yeah. no, where are you? Come, come back. Oh, it that's was, nice. Yeah. So I, I'd imagine that. As young boys, they'd probably be like, yeah, this is mad. My mum's <laughs> Good role model. Yeah, great role model. And it, it will most likely inspire them to kind of follow in the shoes and and um, uh, depending on your ambitions for lips, whether it be to sell or to hold. But, but you know, I'm sure now they know, wow, it's definitely possible that I, as you probably are doing for thousands of other um, um, women and, and men that have ambitions, like you'd probably be surprised how many people – you know, look up to you and be like, wow, that's pretty cool. She just turned some like sheep oil into this global empire. <laughs> Maybe. You know, I reckon. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I definitely just don't want mean. people to think it was really like easy and make themselves feel bad. I think business is hard and tough and you've got to – the, the one bit of advice that I tell myself and I tell other people is if you're not passionate about your product, just don't start because it's only the passion that gets you through those long nights, those phone calls to the UK at 2 a.m., you know, the challenges. You have to love what you're doing. If you're not passionate, you won't be able to get through those hard times um, and there always is hard times. Um, you know, there's a few businesses, I guess, that they don't have the hard times but mostly mostly there's there's obstacles and if it was easy, everyone would do the same thing. That's my favourite quote of all time. Really? Yeah. I love it. It was easy. Everyone would do it. That's why the harder it is, the better it is because the less people get there. The more resistance. And then the more special you are. You are sitting at the top like, oh, yeah, it's just me. You get to the finish line and everyone else has fallen off. Exactly. And that, I mean, that's in line with with what you were saying at the start. It's like keep moving forwards, keep learning, don't quit. And if you have an inclination to quit, then just quit because Mm. it's not for you. Yeah. And and I had a conversation with um, a friend named Gavin um, Rubenstein last week and something he said was make your passion your paycheck. Like That's very you know, be, true. Yeah, I, I like that too. I like because, that too. That's I mean, pretty much what I've done. Yeah, me too. Thinking about And when the hard time comes, you know, you're kind of like, yeah, but like for me, I relating to myself, it's like, oh, I just really love business owners. And it's not necessarily just like an entrepreneur. It's not necessarily the fact that like I only want to do what I'm doing now for them. But it's just that's who I love. That's who I support. That's what I'm. That's who I'm working for. And when it's hard, well, I'll find 
a new way to serve them, you know, because yeah. I like serving them. Right. And, and so oh, I'm passionate about that. I mean, how would you describe yours? Well, I think there's a few different ways to look at starting a company. I think some people, their business plan is to get in, build up, get investors and get out and they don't necessarily love the product but that can still work. It's, it's just that's… Different you know, style. A different style, a different reason of being, um, whereas I was always… You know what, I think the PR background in me put a really low bullshit detector on on what I'm willing to stand behind because I was standing behind all these products and being paid to and I knew what the truth was <laughs> and I just didn't want to do that anymore. Amazonian guava yeah, is not a real I thing. Yeah, I mean like I was looking after natural hair care products, <laughs> like hair care products and literally they launched like a natural range and naturals range and all they did is add one little plant oil. It was this stupid stuff and I had to stand by it and launch it and rah rah and I just didn't want to do that anymore. <laughs> it's amazing what they can do isn't it? Yeah like, I just, admire it and god they're good at it. Yeah you gotta um, admire their understanding of marketing. Yeah it's it's amazing but I don't have that's not my skill set. Mm. I'm sort of running with my skill set. And back to the um, it wasn't easy. Now there are some businesses that you hear very rarely it's some that you hear, oh, they started the business, the product just picked up and just took off and now the business is worth a billion dollars. Yeah. And then there are some um, that, no, it, they walk through fiery walls of hell to get where they yeah. are. And, and, <laughs> and then some slightly higher than that because it's probably pretty extreme. Um, was, what, was it an easy journey? For you or no, did you have to knock through some walls to get where you are? I it, it wasn't easy and I will also say I have contacts that helped along the way, a lot of them, and without them I probably wouldn't have started. So I, um, my husband's company at the time was in distribution so I could get the products onto the shelves through that company and that absolutely launched my product. What it doesn't do though is get a consumer to buy it. Like that only gets you to a certain point um, but it doesn't it, – it, if you just have that and a crap product, you're still going to fail. But that was definitely a leg up. And I think uh, contacts along the way, if you have contacts along the way, just use them because make your life easier, you know. Don't try to do it all yourself if you've got people that can help you really. And that's also why I wanted to join Cub is because I've kind of missed that um, connection with other founders that we can help each other. And I really value that um passing of information between founders that can really help each other. It's free for us to do this and it can be super valuable to receive it and give it. Yeah. And you don't know, like one thing I love about like what you just described is, or even me, like right now, you know, I'm learning about your business and your industry and your story. And, and these are conversations that happen all the time at Cub. But what happens is you end up having this really kind of broad vision of business as a whole. It's not just your industry anymore or your business. Yeah. Like you learn, oh, wow, that's how that business do- yeah. works and that's their marketing and that's, the, you know, and, and you, it, it's kind of like accelerated business school. school like, yeah. You know, like you yeah. and you make all these friends who are also like uh, other great business owners and you just learn here. Uh, that, that's my favourite thing. So you join for the right reason anyway. Yeah. And and so it wasn't it wasn't easy. That's something you wanted to make very. It wasn't clear. easy. Um, I had contacts I used. What got um, you through mentally? Knowing that it was going to work eventually. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> no, it's true, and and it did work straight away. Um, like we got incredible sales immediately. Um, but there's always a you know immediate interest, and then there's a dip. Like as a launcher of consumer goods. And being in PR, you know that there's excitement and then it kind of wanes and people go on to the next thing. So working through that dip and establishing a brand that was strong enough to withstand trends is really important. That's interesting. That's true. And it's, you know, it's something the beauty industry has in common with the hospitality industry. It's kind of like a new restaurant opens. It's a hip trendy. Like you get all this attention and all these people. But if... Um, your food sucks or your product in in your case, if it wasn't good, those people would leave on to the next. Your, I guess your hope is that it's so good that it becomes part of their routine Correct. And, then, and therefore they continue. And a classic. Yeah. And and so and that's and that's what you did, I guess. Yeah, and I've always um look I'm not saying I am a Coca-Cola or a Nike, but I've always been inspired by the timelessness of those brands. And that's why we stay away from things that are too like trend driven or of a moment. It's more about I'm always like, how would Nike do this or how would Coca-Cola do this and how would these iconic brands do this? That's how I always 
that's the lens that I look at. And what do you think they do, I guess, stick to the fundamentals, stick to what yeah, works? Yeah, and they, they're confident and they're, you know, this, they're confident about their iconic brand and the role it plays in people's lives. And I think that there's got to be this sort of confidence that you have and timelessness when you, you know, when you market. And how do you think you achieve that as a, a boutique brand or a smaller brand? How do you think you, how did you personally harness that? confidence or portray that confidence um well i have really stuck behind our original cult launch product and i think that's really cool it's like coca-cola their original recipe so when i launched i launched with a product called 101 ointment and it's the heart and soul of the range and it is the best product we have and it's still our bestseller today it was our immediate bestseller and remains today and Having a one strong hero product that represents your brand so well is really important um, to get that kind of cultural re- relevance. Yeah. Um, so I really keep going back to 101 in our communications, on our website, like everything always ends up going back to 101 in the end. Yeah, like the Coca-Cola of skin hydration. Yeah, exactly. That's, so, that's a very cool connection. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if I, I didn't consciously do it at the beginning, but it certainly emerged as the method I've used in the last five five years. But it's also cool how an entrepreneur can look to a company that does something completely different to, yep. um, to, to what they do and still find that symmetry. Yeah, and I think cultural relevance is really what I look for is like what what role does this product play in people's lives and, and now I'm getting – people that come in for a job interview, they're like, I use it and I've used it because my mum bought it for me when I was growing up and now I'm like, I love, I love that. It's something you pass down. Wow. It's, it's like part of their lives yeah. and I love that. Yeah. Same way it was part of your, I guess it was passed down to yeah. you in the sense as yeah. well. Yeah, a bit more classic, like cult classic. And and so how would you describe cultural influence? Is it is it that? Is it that it's part, it's part of people's lives and therefore they, they, they hand it down like, yeah, it's like a secret. Yeah. It's like some. It's like a se- part of the secrets you've got like in life. Secret. I think. I, love um, that. I also believe people have a language of love. Like they pass tips down to people, and my language of love is beauty and skincare. Like I always tell my friends, they always say, "What fake hand do I get?" Or like, "What's the best X Y Z?" And you know, I've got a friend. Her language of love is cooking. Like she teaches us, and she gives us her love through cooking us meals. And everyone's got their thing that their friends go to. And I think, um, I mean, I'm very extreme, obviously, skincare, but. A language of love for a woman passing down or a man passing down. This is the lip balm you use. Is like it's like a gift as a brand owner to have some of that in people's lives. Yeah, it's like a, a privilege. I fully agree. And is the reason you say skincare rather than skin hydration? Is it because that hydration is basically ninety percent of skincare? Yeah, it's like it is skincare. It's essentially yeah. the most important thing. Pretty much. Yeah, I actually think it's higher than ninety percent. But for me, healthy skin is hydration and. Yes, I think I said at the beginning, yes, you can affect, you know, brightness or wrinkles to some extent, but this the difference is so small, I can't be bothered. And hydration does hydration help wrinkles. Is yeah. my skin like can you are you? You look hydrated, of, you do not look hydrated. dry. No, at all? no. Oh, well, I was going. I was just going to say. If you said you look a bit dry, I was going to say I'm going to start trying. Uh, no, you bits. don't look. You don't look like you need it. Look, healthy cells are plumped up with hydration, okay. and so dry skin will 100% look more wrinkly. If you look at dry hands when they're dry and they look wrinkly, and then you put hydration on, it's a massive difference just by adding hydration. Huge mm. difference, much bigger than any wrinkle cream you can find. And so, obviously, the business has then evolved because it started as Lano Lips just being lip care yeah um but now it's it's skin care so it's faced is there body yeah so it's every, basically any any skin it's just skin we've you got, got skin, you covered you got care yeah we've so, got you covered so how have you changed your um i guess overarching brand uh, to encompass more than just the lips so for one we kind of nickname it just lano now um, and when we launch in new markets, it's like when we launched in the US, it was launched as Lano. I, I actually think, prefer just Lano. It yeah, sounds like it's a really easier to say. Yeah. Um, it's short and sharp, and um, so that that's one thing. And then, um, but you always have to have a core. Like as a brand, as if you're selling a range of things, it's super important to have a hero product, and that hero product should represent everything about the brand. And that's why I keep going back to the 101. If you keep that hero healthy, then the brand's healthy. 
Um, so for us, we always go back to the 101 and the 101 can be used everywhere. So we might talk about using the 101, mixing it with your body cream to supercharge your body cream or you can use it on your pet's paws or just removing it from just that pure lip space is kind of how we communicate that messaging about yeah. the rest of the body. Yeah, we have conversations that come about that. It's like, okay, we have a hero product. That's the that if, me, if members are using that, they're renewing. We know that. But for additional value to help them even more with different things, yeah. let's create this. Let's launch this app. Let's yeah. do – and so but you've got that product. We call it the mothership. If that dies, we all die. We sing. What's your but mothership? Cool. It's like that's right. the way we guarantee every member is going to meet – Good. Um, yeah, thirty plus people, uh, every new people every year in the club, so that they have. We know they're having the opportunity to meet several times uh, new business owners uh, throughout the year. So we know they're they're meeting people. The more people they meet, the more relationships they're going to build. And you know, we know over a three year period, but by, by the end of their third term of membership, they've built themselves a very strong personal community of fellow business owners that's going to support them in on their entrepreneurial journey. For, yeah, hopefully for life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we, we're now next year, like we're adding, like we've got these cub communities launching, which is like uh, industry and interest groups that members can opt into and, and be a part of. For example, there could be um, a marketing industry group, construction industry group. There could right. be a business women's group. There could That's be a, a young idea. members group. And so well, there are going to be all these groups. So, um, um, so for example, you could be you would oh, I want to be part of the business women group. I also want to be part of the um, uh, B2C group yep. and, you know, whatever it may be. But I love it. I think it's a great idea. But we're never forgetting core. The team knows core is the mothership, at yep. least for now. You can always switch your mothership if, if you find something even better. Yes, exactly. You know, but you need to have that central thing. That makes sure people do, do, yep. do And that. so people know what you're about in a nutshell, in a blink of an eye. Yeah, I love that. And – I read something interesting in your prep sheet. It said um, that in the, the that it wasn't easy. There were a lot of really hard times. Oh yeah. But at the time, the hard times seemed like oh no, the world's ending. But in hindsight, you've realised that those hard hard times are what ma what made you come up with the things that enable you to become who you are today. Like, 100%. I, I butchered the way you wrote it. And it's true. I mean, it sound, I hate saying it because it sounds so cliche, but it's the lessons that propel you forward because you learn, oh, that's not the right thing to do. Okay, I know that now. I won't do that. <laughs> or, mm. um, oh, okay, we're missing this over here and we have to pivot a bit. So, okay, I'll do that. So if you don't get those lessons, um, I can't see how you can grow. And, yeah. and anyone who who thinks they know everything is very stupid because you can't no one can know you know everything already so I'm never one to pretend that I haven't made mistakes or mm. I'm the first one to admit that something wasn't right in the office and and I encourage that amongst my team as well we don't talk about I mean yes mistakes happen but I encourage them just to say oh this has gone wrong because if you don't they'll hide it and they'll happen anyway but you won't hear about it um, but we just move straight on to solutions we don't yeah. talk, to talk about mistakes very much. Yeah, and I believe that every mistake has the opportunity to become a positive. Every mistake doesn't become a positive. It only it has the opportunity to. So yeah, that's very it, there, true. there is the opportunity to learn and then to improve. Mm, that's very true. Like uh, yesterday, just to give a small example, rarely but often uh, will remove mem any members that perhaps aren't upholding the shared ethical values of, of the community. And we had um, basically taken someone out of the club that they were new and they, they straight away it was wrong what they were doing. They were trying to sell and it was wrong. So we removed them from the club and and then we someone showed us that they had made a tweet about, uh, you know, carb or whatever they said. I, I really couldn't care less. But the team was like, oh, no, this isn't good. People, people are going to see it. I checked out the tweet and I was like, Matt, I actually don't have Twitter. I'm going to get Twitter. So I got Twitter. And now I'm using Twitter and I'm like, wow, I really like the way they do this and this. And because we're developing our new members app on the side, it gave me some great ideas to now right. implement into the app. So I'm like, fuck, thank you, man. Like, yeah. Now I've got Twitter. I'm trying to learn how to use it. I've taken things from Twitter to like yeah. great ideas that I think work on our members app. Yep. And it's become like, okay, it was a bit of a negative, whatever, one tweet, who cares? But but then what we've got from that that we're going to like put into the app is going to impact um, the 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 over a thousand members person community that we have now in such a big way. Yeah, and you um, would never have had that. Never. 
had it not been. Never. I would never have gone on Twitter. That moment. Yeah. yeah. So like every every Happened negative all has All the time. Yeah. I mean I love change. I think that's the other thing about an entrepreneur. Um, you need to be comfortable with change. Like and I love change. So for me I'm I'm kind of a pop culture vulture. So in my mind I'm still 14 years old girl. So I'm always scanning and I just can't help it. And that's um, that's super important as an entrepreneur is to embrace change. I, I fully agree and, and I myself and them are the same. However, do you ever find that constant change um, can be um, not a problem but can be resisted from by the team? And, uh, yeah, and team, the team members sometimes are resistant like, mm, nah. yeah. And then it's been a couple times, sorry, Cub team, it's been a couple times where about a year or two before I've been like, guys, this is what's going to happen. You watch. That's going to be like, that's the idea. That's that's what we should do. And then, no, no, we shouldn't do that. It, trust me, like it, it won't like it won't work. Members won't like. And then a year later, it, it just naturally happens, and yeah. everyone's like, "Fuck, why didn't we do that a year yeah. ago?" I was like, I "Told you." I've had that a few times too <laughs> yeah. as well, actually, when yeah. I've regretted not doing a thought I had yeah. immediately. Because you don't want to override, yeah, the, the whole team either. So you're like, okay, well, you know, let's whatever. I'll I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll follow that. But then, like a year later, two years later. It's the thing and it's made everything so much better. And you're like, I told you guys. Yeah, had we done this one year yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, managing change is important. And in my style of business, actually in every style of business, also your clients don't want to see too much change because then there's no stability anymore. Yeah, and they get like unsure and confused. Yeah. And they want – like brands are about trust. Yes. And they need to – you know, if you change too much, they're like, I don't know if I trust those people anymore. So Yeah, I really yeah. love that. Yeah, brands are about trust. Like what, they know what, what they're they getting. trust they're going to get from you? Exactly. So for yeah. me, they're going to get the world's best hydration. I love and that. Simple, strong, powerful products. And approved and used by all of Team Cub. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, the, all the women in Team Cub, the men are going to jump on this week. I'm getting my first. All uh, the dry men. I'm getting all the dry, <laughs> dry wrinkly dudes. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to get our first. Uh, uh, do you have a stick for me today? I, I do. Can, I can steal. I have. Oh, thank I you. I have a coconut. Oh, yeah, for and you. coconut's my favorite too. I love coconut. There you go. Yeah. Um, Your lips are I, a bit dry. Actually, FYI, are they? Mm. Yeah, I just got back from the farm. Okay. But um, it, question: So when you say it's it's coconut, does that mean it's coconut scented, or does that mean that it's um, there's there's like coconut oil in it, or um, both? Okay, it's both. Yeah. So all our products use only natural fruit and ad- additives. So we have like a strawberry balm and um, watermelon and pear and peach and they all have those natural fruit extracts in them. Yeah. Um, so our coconut, therefore, has coconut oil in it and okay. it smells like coconuts. And what's the benefit uh, on top of the lano? lano That's a good lano question. Lanolin <laughs> will always be the best but sometimes um, there's nothing wrong with having a different sensory experience. And sometimes I remember the whole reason I launched my flavoured ones to begin with was 101 is comp- – my original 101 is a completely blank, scent-free, nothing in it formula and sometimes you just want a hit of something, a hit of strawberry and you just want that sensory experience. So that's why we started to do the, the flavour infusions. Yeah, but I like that. It, the, the fundamental base is still the Lano. So Absolutely. It's still it's the Lano. So, so it's in, still great but it's just, hey – have a bit more fun while you do it. That's exactly right. I don't pretend it to be any more complicated than that. And just to um, uh, start wrapping up, do you read much? I do. I haven't been reading the last few months but I I usually do. What would be your, I guess, number one book recommendation for listeners? For business or for fiction? Well, both. Do you have both? Do you have a both, or do you? Well, for business, I kind of got I, I don't read bored with reading with business books. See, I only read business books. Do you? Yeah, I get I can't bored read now. I mean, look, I the audio. I do them with audio books now. But when I was reading books, the Seth Godin books are great. The Malcolm Gladwell books, um, the Tipping Point, like those kind of books for me were really helpful in understanding group marketing and how to get a brand through the different stages. Um, and Blink. The one that's a brilliant book and a lot of it's confirming stuff you already know, to be honest, when you're reading those business books. You're like, oh, I know. Oh, yes, I was right about that. Yes, but that's what's nice about them because you're like, okay, <laughs> just confirming I'm right. Just confirming I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Just confirming I'm right. Oh, that's interesting. I don't think that's right. Yeah. Um, but Blink's great because it just talks about that subconscious immediate. Blink's actually a really great book. Um, it have talks- you read Dave? Oh, sorry. No, you go. I was going to say, have you read the Malcolm Gladwell? I think it's Malcolm Gladwell. David vs. Goliath? I haven't. It didn't appeal to me. Because that might be relevant. Well, maybe at the start it would have been relevant for you when, you, you know, small, yeah, maybe. smaller you know, business taking on the bigger. Maybe. I mean, look, interestingly, I saw Malcolm Gladwell um, do a public 
um, seminar about two years ago and someone asked him about one of his books. I can't remember the tipping point. Is that Seth Godin? I can't remember. But he actually said, you know what, I don't know if I would write that book today. I don't think it still stands. Interesting. As a result, I won't read any business books that are more than five or ten years old because outdated information. Um, <laughs> but, yes, so and when it comes to fiction, the most beautiful book I re- ever read that I remember recently was Goldfinch um, and also What's it called? I Am Pilgrim. Goldfinch. Goldfinch. The like Goldfinch. Bird. The bird, yeah. What's yes. that about? Oh, it's about a piece of art that gets stolen amongst a bombing of a museum and the journey for this boy who had this piece of art. And it's, you know, it's not about the plot line that though. It's about the beautiful writing and the and the relationships with this boy as he goes through life without a mother. It sounds and, amazing, but and what do you take from like, what do you get from it? Like, what do you when you're reading? What's the purpose of your reading? I don't know who said this. Maybe it was my child. Maybe I read it somewhere. But it's like watching a movie in your head. But the way a good writer can make you feel is much more intimate and it can really uplift you. And I remember reading The Goldfinch and kind of literally had to take a breath in when I read some of those lines. It was so beautifully done. It can really move you. It's like watching an amazing movie but it's just you and it's just in your head. Wow. That's a beautiful description. Yeah. (laughs) And what would you say your greatest lesson in business is? Um, Perseverance. Never ever give up mm-hmm. that's pretty much my number one I think that's the fundamental like seriously honestly if you keep going eventually everyone else will stop and you'll win that's basically yeah what I say to my I think that's too. the fundamental like the lesson in business is yep. you just can't quit just keep going keep Move. learning pivot keep going if you could teach your sons one lesson the most important lesson, would that be the one for business? Yeah, so I have a little note up in both of their rooms because one of them, exceptionally talented, can be a little bit lazy and the other one's kind of a good all-rounder. But what I want them to understand is natural talent will only get you so far and someone can have natural talent. If they don't put the effort in, someone who does put the effort in will beat them. And so I want them to understand no matter if they might be naturally good at something, if they still don't push themselves, someone else is going to overtake them eventually and be better than them. So basically I've got this note that says natural talent plus hard work equals success. Natural talent plus no hard work equals failure. (laughs) And so you put that up in their rooms. That's so business (laughs) mum. But I just want them to do their best and and, and realise that they can't be lazy Oh yeah, in life, yeah, yeah. if they want to succeed, and, they and have especially to try. at their age too. Yeah, like, yeah, those teenage, oh, teenage is always just they're 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 actually a teenage boys are probably a bit easier than teenage girls, no? I, probably I think should, I probably shouldn't say that in the podcast. I wasn't a great teenage girl. There you go. Okay. Thank you for confirming. <laughs> I, yeah, they have different challenges, but by most accounts, teenage girls are a bit worse. Yeah. Oh, well, good, l- good luck. Um, good luck with your teenagers. Thank but you, no, Kirsten. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for having um, me. Thank you for such a beautiful conversation. Thank you very so much. So happy we got to we got to meet. Yeah, it's been I'm great. So proud to have you uh, in our in our community at Cub. I start my call this week. Amazing! It's really good. We're doing this new thing, and um, obviously, cause digital. Um, well, it's been basically digital for almost two years now, but. But we're starting this new, uh, there's like a new system towards how we're doing it. It's almost like, it's not speed dating, but it's like speed networking where you get five minutes with each member in your core group. And you like, it's kind of intense actually. A lot of the members are writing back to us saying, that was amazing. It was so much fun. Like, because they switched on the whole time. They got five minutes. They get to know, you know, each member in their group one-on-one. Right. And then it, you, you're trying to, you know. At it's the like end, the matrix. All, you want to suck out yeah. the information and in five the minutes. And they organize catch-ups and like heaps of people are like, oh my God, we just realized we live so close to each other. We're going for a coffee out this afternoon. Like we got all these great stories back. Apparently it's like kind of like a game. I, I actually haven't, we, we tested as a team, but I haven't been in, and a group yet doing it, but uh, the, the feedback's been really funny. I look so, forward to it. Yeah, yeah, it'll be good fun. People are like, no, don't leave me. And then, <laughs> spin and then someone else comes in. It's, it's really cool. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And to our listeners, I am sure you've enjoyed this wonderful conversation. But if you would like to find out more about the amazing Kirsten and her global lip care empire, go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you'll find more information there. Kirsten, thank you. Thank you again so much for being here today. My pleasure, Daniel. Thank you. To the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show.